Folge Gagenia. Welcome everybody to this, our first Schlion Cree podcast of 2024, Wisdom Talks, the shamanic path often referred to as a wisdom tradition. Welcome, welcome, Far Ushla, a wonderful man in our lives, Liam McGowan, to our first Wisdom Talks podcast. Liam, there are so many extraordinary accomplishments in your life, so many credits, but let me just say at the very outset, a real privilege to sit with you because there isn't a conversation I've ever had with you that I wouldn't sincerely say was not a Wisdom Talk. <laughs> That whether we're talking about, you know, the field of corn we're looking at or whether we're referring to something in the university where you work, that there's effortless wisdom always flowing with you and from you and to you. And uh, we have, of course, in our first language, Irish, Gaelga, Gaelic, the word sui for a wise one. And I really see you, Liam, okay. as a wise one. I mentioned so many accomplishments, uh, Liam, and if I risked saying some, I would only be feeling uh, regretful of the ones I didn't remember. But Liam, uh, perhaps to share with all who are joining us uh, something about yourself, and okay. particularly, of course, we'll be sharing how mental health is such a formative theme in our first podcast and, and that will become so self-evident when you share of your accomplishment and your your prowess in so many fields but uh, Liam perhaps you'd like to share uh, something of yourself and uh, to come into the fire as we say well thanks a million John and it's it's, it's it's great to be great to be here chatting to you um, uh, again and maybe more formally I'm just um, I'm just trying to bring myself a little bit down from that buttering up um, uh, that you, you introduced me with to just to come just to ground myself in 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 in, in maybe the work um, and and me I suppose a little bit about myself um, I suppose in old fashioned terms I'm a mental health practitioner um, I would have been a mental health nurse uh, well I'm a mental health nurse but that would be where I started off in the trajectory and um, I'm a community activist beyond mental health uh, uh, in in environment and kind of um, various places um, I would consider myself as living the way of the shaman uh, the way of the shaman and, and, and previously have, have practiced specifically um, shamanism but more so over latter years bringing uh, the, sh the shaman path into my life into everything I do so into my mental health practice work into my community work and community activism. And in particularly, I, I, I do have a privileged position, which I tend to use, not lightly, but I, I, I'm employed in Dublin City University as an associate professor, which gives me, I suppose, gives me access, gives me, I have responsibilities for education, for research, for, 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 for practice. And all of who I've become over time 
following the way of, of, of the shaman, bringing in my activism, my mental health practice, is able to be influential in, in my role in the university, which is essentially from the university out into the community. So um, I've been lucky enough to be involved in some, like involved in, rather than being responsible for quite a lot of really cool stuff. So um, would have established back in kind of 2011, 2012, uh, community dialogues known as trilogues where people with mental health challenges family members and friends and professionals would meet outside of the power structures of a mental health system to discuss issues around mental health and well-being and and responses and work in a kind of a, a an equal community way a bit like traditional the way traditional communities would have conducted their business you know in a circle uh, with all voices being heard facilitated maybe by maybe by a medicine a person maybe by you know a chief or you know a, a chieftain setting them up in communities around ireland was was it was a privilege um i'm quite involved in this um i suppose charity uh, organization called mad in ireland which is reclaiming um, the voice of madness, particularly in response to mainstream media, who still really only give voice to traditional psychiatric, mental illness-centred kind of voices around understanding people's mental health and, and responding. So Mad in Ireland is a space for the voice of others and the voice of um, other fields of energy, the voice for healing modalities, the voice of people who are voiceless, so people with significant mental health challenges who are not having a voice is heard or who are not finding choice in how they seek to heal. So it's quite an interesting one and it comes with some podcasts and other things. It's almost like an alternative news channel um, based on the principle of mad in America that was set up for the same reason to give a critical voice that wasn't there in the mainstream media. So that'll be one of the community things I'll be interested in and, and involved in. Um, I'm involved quite a lot and have been for a long time. I'm a, a systemic family constellations facilitator, which is essentially working with an energy field around family systems, transgenerational in the living and in the dead and going back generations where you can, you can I suppose, um, you can unlock uh, knots or burdens within the family system through using the power of kind of energy group um, and somebody might want to do with some relational problems, some psychological problems, some physical conditions. And through a kind of a, a brief interaction by a facilitator and using representative energy of people in a holding circle, we can... Some people say it's play out a person's system, but, it, but it's, it's much more than that. Mm -hmm. It's people can represent somebody's system. So if I, for example, ask somebody to represent my mother... I would be shocked because they would be having characteristics of my mother and they've never met my mother. You know, there's lots of scientific background to, to explain it. I'm not going to go into it here. But, um, you know, it, it is out there in the literature forum. But that would be one of my main healing modalities now. And what's lovely there is it's born out of ancestral healing and indigenous healing. So it's beautifully aligned with shamanic work and with shamanic healing and bringing the healing of the ancestors. And so, for example, we might be in a constellation of multiple representatives. Not only will we have my mother, uh, maybe my addiction, maybe uh, somebody that was killed back in the day, but I might also have my spirit guide, our Luke, our Bridget, the goddess, in the actual constellation, depending on where I am and, 
and what's been brought into the constellation to help me, I suppose, reconcile and to help me on, on to help me lose the burdens that I've carried from my family system, so I don't pass it on to the next generations. Anyway, I get carried away. I'm obviously passionate about that. I'll I'll, I'll stop on that. There are a couple of different things mm. I'm kind of involved in, um, and I suppose collectively, but research, education, and practice, they all nicely synergize together and. Uh, that's where I met yourself and Karen. Even um, I think we met initially through educational processes, mm. bringing bringing shamanism into the classroom. Mm. So um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's a little bit to go on. Yeah. Only mercurial you are, Liam, and inspirational. And you know, it's your passion is actually something that for me is where I see so much of your wisdom. And to not be apologising whatsoever or, or shy of your passion and. I hope, you know, for those listening, you know, how perfect you are as a guest uh, in this, our first podcast of 2024 and coinciding in January with a movement, uh, an event, a festival, a gathering that so many in Ireland now have heard of first fortnight, where we always have held at the first fortnight of the year, often the most difficult uh, period in the calendar for people's mental yeah. health. So just beautiful synchronicity with uh, speaking with you in this first podcast of the year. Liam, if I was to ask you, where are you from or where have you come from in order to have all these phenomenal expressions of yourself, whether from activism, in academia, in family consolation work, uh, in all of the projects that you have, where has Liam come from in order Mm. for the adult man sitting with me to have all of these phenomenal expressions in the field of mental health, healing, and much more. Where have you, where do you see yourself okay. as having come from? Okay. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to keep it in a linear dimension because it could just take too long to go to. So um, I suppose I've come from a, I I'm I'm born I'm I'm and this is relevant to to the wider come from I am born Irish consider myself Celtic which is beyond Ireland so I've come from a mongrel race across the globe and from many mythological understandings of, of what it is to be Irish what it is to be Celtic and, and I don't want to underestimate that as the beginning of where I've come from because it's that broader essence that really creates who somebody is I think if you take out the impact of capitalism, of various aspects of, of the human experience. Sometimes it's that broader being that that holds that holds somebody where they end up. So 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 yes, come from there. But um within the Irish context, uh, come from a relatively privileged family, although my mother would say we were poor, I would never have felt poor. So relatively privileged um opportunity for education but came through quite a traumatic childhood with kind of issues of, of, of addiction and, and kind of, you know, histories of civil war, etc., etc. Like a lot of Irish people, that's no different than a lot of Irish people. So some trauma, you know, within there, but a kind of a privileged background. The typical kind of growing up, maybe, became a very angry teenager, um, maybe because of some of the childhood stuff. And at the age of teenager... That might have made or break me so angry, dangerous. Um, I don't mean violently dangerous. Dangerous in terms of risk-taking behaviour. So I I had a kind of a fragmented space, um, 
uh, and probably although I don't identify as a perfect lived experience I would say there was significant trauma and significant damage to myself as a result of that trauma that began to open me up to the healing path uh, we often hear about the wounded healer you know people feel healing where the fuck do I go with this oh I'm not sure if I'm allowed to curse on the podcast sorry uh, of course you are. Uh, where where do I go with this? Mm-hmm. And part of it is my own healing, which I didn't do then. Instead, I went to become a professional healer, which is sometimes a way of avoiding looking at my own wounds, as as, as we can often see the the the, the healers. Um, well, no, not necessarily healers. The professionals often are there because they haven't looked at their own wounds. So I was one of those. So I became a nurse, and I was a very good nurse, and then realized at some stage. That I was kind of not living my full potential as a human being, first of all. So I had to look at my own wounds. So I started my own healing journey then. It took me into, uh, dare I say, Wicca, was where I, where I kind of ventured as, as a way of finding spiritual healing. Um, oh, to say I was a very Christian boy, destined to be a priest, except at 14, I was trying to be a good student in the church and for some reason the priest thought we were messing and came out and literally whacked us in vials and told us to get out of the church so I took that literally and left the church at 14 and never went back so mm. Wickham was my first attempt to move back into a spiritual realm mm. um, and then I did more training as I got to know myself did more training in counselling and therapy later in energy work and slowly but surely was being drawn into the kind of spiritual natural world of healing complementing nursing complementing counselling complemented kind of cognitive kind of therapy work and uh, really in parallel with my own healing as the more I was able to find my own sense of self the more I was able to engage with the deeper modes of, of, of helping a kind of uh, mental health and emotional distress and, and that's where kind of the, the more of the spiritual me kind of emerged um, so that's where I've come from and that's how I've come to here and and how I've come to integrate all these kind of things. And I suppose as a human being, my community work is, is where my wider humanity spreads out. Um, and my mental health work is probably where my individual healing pieces are there, um, I think. I don't know. Mm, thanks um, so much, Liam. Yeah. And, you know, so beautiful, your eloquence, because... We might agree that wisdom, and I'm going to really look for your considered response to this very shortly, but that wisdom, you know, when we look to our native mythology, I mean, one of the great seminal stories of how wisdom comes into the human being, of course, is while it's become stereotypical, it is also an archetypal story mm. of on Fassa, the salmon of wisdom, and how in the many very tellings of that great tale of wisdom coming into the human being in summary it's it's the young apprentice boy Fionn who's the apprentice to the great learned druid Phinecus mm. and the great druid hunting for this renowned salmon of wisdom that if he eats the flesh of this particular salmon he becomes the wisest man in Ireland yeah. and has that pinnacle and that status and that aggrandizement and that in the telling, of course, many listening to us will know that having caught the fish, he instructs his young apprentice, 
Fionn to cook the fish while he sleeps and prepares himself mm. for the grand meal. And of course, in the cooking of the fish, as the skin begins to splinter on the pan, the young boy spontaneously is of service and bursts that blister mm. with his finger, yeah. which burns his finger and automatically to cool his finger, he puts it in his mouth. And yeah. later when the fish is cooked, he wakes his master, Phinecus, and says, Master, the great salmon of wisdom is ready for you now. And Phinecus looks at the boy and says, my boy, what have you done? Because obviously he could see the wisdom in the young boy. And in sharing, you know, that well-known mythological tale of, of how wisdom comes into the innocent, wisdom isn't necessarily for the grand or yeah. the, the high status person or the person even who's seeking it. And not just, you know, the great investments you've placed in your life to become the psychiatric nurse, to become the associate professor that you are, to be the activist that you are, to be the, the facilitator and leader in family constellations and many, many other accomplishments that are part of your life's practice. Asking you where you're from just allows, I think, me and everybody listening to honour the important backdrop of your life that's mm. not just biographical in this lifetime, but as you yeah. said, you're a Celt, yeah. you're of this land. And therefore, you're of a land with this mythology yeah. that has many stories about the begetting of wisdom. And of course, on Brother on Fassa, the salmon of wisdom is just one. Yeah. But when you hear me repeat something that you know so well, and you hear the word wisdom, where for you do you think in your life as a health professional, as a man who straddles so many fields of the academic and the non-academic, but also you're of this land, you're of this mongrel race, as you say. When you hear the word wisdom, or you even consider how wisdom finds Liam, or how Liam finds wisdom, your story of On Breath On Fasa, because you might see, or you may not see a difference between wisdom and knowledge, or between wisdom and learning, uh, but where does, or how does Liam consider how wisdom finds you or how you find wisdom is it primarily through your experience is it through community is it research is it listening to others is it all of them is something that I haven't suggested the flow okay. of wisdom to Liam McGowan okay I, I the, the story the, the salmon and knowledge I, I, I it absolutely make, makes sense to me that there's a there's a slightly other version that makes more sense to me, uh, and not another version of the Salmon of Knowledge, but, but even within mythology. Um, I like the mythology, uh, now whether it's Celtic or others, of light bearer, of actually shining the light uh, and enabling wisdom to emerge. That's, that's, that's part of what wisdom is for me. It's, it's, for me, wisdom is in the collective systemic consciousness and the collective unconscious. And where wisdom shows up is where people come together and share experience, share learning, share backdrop, and then there's a collective wisdom comes up. So in, in my academic head, I call that practical wisdom or praxis. So it's the integration of learning and knowledge with experiential doing. Mm. So me, for, for whatever reason, and it could be because I come from a collective kind of uh, race, that a collective rather than I race, an individual race, it's wisdom is something that emerges from the collective. And it can be from the systemic conscious, from the unconscious. But it sometimes takes 
So that wise man, who was maybe going to be what we sometimes call gurus here, in that parable isn't. It's the normal citizen who is actually the wise person. So mm. to some extent, I'm totally going with the same story. Mm. But in the broader collective, the wisdom lies with the collective. It doesn't lie with gurus. It doesn't. But often our archetypes, the light bearer, in my case, I'm thinking of Luke, for example, um, provide a space for wisdom to emerge uh, from the collective. So I'm not sure if, if I've... If I've answered it, but if I was thinking of wisdom, that's that's where I find wisdom. Mm. Uh, I find wisdom in the collective, and, and and wouldn't see myself as holding much wisdom or any more wisdom than anybody else. Perhaps my role in the wisdom creation is I'm able to shine a light and somehow and sometimes enable the wisdom to unfold from the collective. Mm. So that's probably more I'm enabling wisdom rather than have much wisdom myself would be my own personal take on it. Uh, and I have no problem with that. <laughs> um, That's a really beautiful phrase, enabling wisdom. Yeah, yeah. yeah I suppose it's, 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 it's like a facilitative role, I think. Because um, it's there. It's, 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 it's not. It does have to be created, but it's created through experience. And yeah, through learning as well. Mm. And um, while the poetry is important, being a light bearer, enabling wisdom how can we be light bearers like you how can we um i i don't know i think there's a, a lot of accidental ways that people fall into into um spaces because there's different for people take different roles and, and i'm not actually sure i mm. didn't and wouldn't have necessarily aspire to be a light bearer it seems to be something i have become and 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 not by choice so so i don't know so it's, it's not by choice but once I recognized or it became clear to me through, through lots of things between journeying and, and other people and healing and all that, I still don't know how. All I know is that that's my role. I don't have to know much, but I have to, uh, I have to try and open up spaces where knowledge can emerge. That's, that's my role. Um, so I, and in one way it's very freeing because I don't have to know an awful lot <laughs> <laughs> just how to do that yeah. so I don't know I can't answer that I really don't oh, know I think yeah. you have yeah. in many yeah. many ways and so often you know the answer is really actually just finding the deeper or the more real question maybe was yeah. originally asked. Yeah. Um, very very informative and poignant you mentioning how the impulse in your life to become the psychiatric nurse was not quite the same as taking the path of the wounded healer and healer heal thyself being the mantra of the wounded healer mm. and that being the great archetypal orientation of of the shaman yeah the, the wounded yeah. healer so you know in terms of the the major steps of growth or discoveries in your life that we can become a health professional, but actually not pay any attention to ourselves. It's all about the other. Mm. It's all about the sick or the ill or the patient. Um, it sounds like there have been many discoveries in your life from initial practice to where you are now about mental illness, about the truth of mental health itself. Would you be seeing or even using the words yourself mental health today in any different way to where you might have done a couple of decades ago when you first began a, as a psychiatric nurse completely uh, in fact I would have considered myself 
a brilliant psychiatric nurse when I qualified because I knew more about mental illness and the drug treatment of mental illness than anybody I knew. In fact, the only thing I really studied um, to get my finals and to qualify as a mental health nurse or as a psychiatric nurse that was known then was, you know, the illnesses and the drugs. And one other thing, which is actually the thing that actually led me out of psychiatric nurse in the end, how the systems work with each other biological kind of psychological mm. but it was the psychiatric illnesses and the and the drugs um i was radicalized in 1998 which would have been no in, in 1980 probably 1989 which was maybe about two years after i qualified i was working in england and i first came into contact with what's called what's called then the service user movement so the people in receipt of mental health services and from then on in I slowly but surely over the years began to completely review my concept of what mental illness was and the place the drugs had to play. So I've kind of moved a very, very long sweep. If I wasn't an educationalist and a researcher and employed to deliver certain things, I probably would have moved right into a space of mental illness doesn't exist. So my own personal value system mental illness is a, is an ascribed deficit to human being i will talk about mental illness i will when i'm working with somebody who considers themselves having a mental illness then i'm working with mental illness but in my own personal mm. you ask me have i moved much i've moved completely i now <clears throat> think it's stigmatizing it's discriminating uh, it's not helpful to individuals um, but it's become part of the social milieu. So if I am struggling in my life and I can't actually work for a living and I need, say, for example, disability, I'll need a diagnosis to be able to get that disability. So it's hardwired into society structure. So obviously, I know we still have to work with that notion, but thankfully, in my lifetime, the paradigm has moved from thinking about mental illness and a psychiatric response to thinking about human living and human flourishing and the ability for people to heal themselves, and the ability for communities who used to be involved in the healing process. You only have to go back as far as the Brehan Laws, where people who were struggling with kind of mental health were embraced by the community, and that was their responsibility um, to embrace people. We're beginning to move back into a space where people don't have to subscribe to be mentally ill. And it is a choice to be mentally ill. Uh, although a lot of people would say, well, if you're poor, if you're uneducated, um, and if you can only use the statutory service, then it's not a choice. And I, and I get that. But what I say by a choice is there's so many other ways of being able to move towards healing that's not about having a mental illness. Um, it's about being able to understand what's happening for me. It's about being able to link into what brought about maybe emotional distress, what was traumatising in my life that led me to behave in certain ways, not to be able to engage in healthy relationships. There's lots of other ways that now are mandated to by the United Nations, by the WHO, to be able to explore. You know, for example, in Ireland alone, we managed to get principles involved in mental health policy that are associated with human rights and trauma-informed care which has allowed us even in Irish policy, mental health policy, and now practice to shift traditional psychiatric practice into modern contemporary ways of understanding people's experiences, maybe from a background of trauma. And our responses may be considering people's human rights rather than maybe perceiving them as second-class citizens that mental health laws often do to people with mental health problems. So I've moved quite radically 
but I'm able to sit at any stage of the continuum of mental health, mental illness to extraordinary experiences of emotional distress because of my broader role and also as a person who works with people with emotional distress, mental health challenges, I work with where they're at and so many people where they're at is mental illness. That's, that's where I'm at and that's where they're at. Mm. Um, uh, but my broader understanding personally and my value system is just, it really, it's not really, it doesn't really compute Mm. this construction which was a construction in 1896 of mm. uh, mental illness mm. Mm. don't know if that answers oh, uh, so yeah. importantly it does uh, Liam because you know you're a beautiful epitome of somebody who in many ways for so many 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 people including me have has walked the talk of revelation around mental health because we're changing profoundly mm. even how we use the term. We're changing profoundly how we address people with what we might describe as mental health symptoms. We're looking at ourselves personally and our own mental health in ever-changing ways. Yeah. And those changing ways seem to be informed by growths in awareness, growths in human rights, growths in consciousness, growths in wisdom mm. in how to speak of mental health, how to cultivate uh, superior mental health if you could come in as the king kong or the godzilla of the world of mental health in ireland what what would you like to see change that needs to be changed whether on a collective nationwide level institutional level or or even in the personal conversations we have with ourselves about our mental health what would liam like to just come in and say change all that stuff grow out of all of that it's just not helpful um, okay well a few things the first thing uh, I would like to do seeing as I have that power is the first thing I'm going to do is scrap the Mental Health Act which is a specific act that's only applied to people uh, uh, who can be diagnosed um, by psychiatrists as having a mental disorder thus rendering them second class citizens They're, it's the only specific act specifically for people who have been othered Mm. Um, which makes them second-class citizens and, and, and means that wherever they go, whoever they are, they can be interpreted in a certain way and can be locked up as a result of it. So I, I'd scrap that because it's, it's, it's inhumane. It creates two-tiered citizenry. Um, so just get rid of that. That's, that, that's easy done. We can use normal health, normal laws to deal with um, all people. So that, that's at a legislative level. Um, I would bring in multidisciplinary education not unidisciplinary education so that we'll have a pluralistic understanding because I'm not looking to ditch it we have a system that's set up to help like many 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 people it doesn't work but it is already there so I wouldn't throw it out I'd just re, re, rework it um, and um, bring in the broader healing field into the equation so not see something in what we call the multidisciplinary psychiatric worldview. So I was, I was somewhere yesterday, for example, and we had art therapists, music therapists, peer support workers, recovery card, all these other people, all these different kind of healing modalities coming in. So I would open, open that out as possibility. A bit like when you go to Germany, uh, you know, you, you, in the healthcare system there, you can decide, I need to go to a spa for two weeks. And that's where your GP will send you. Mm -hmm. on your 
health insurance. Or I need to go into a psychiatric unit for two weeks. So open up the broader modalities uh, and then open up a, a ground level dialogue about what this thing is we call mental illness. Because if I came in and waved a magic wand, I would be accused, rightly so, of being an academic so far removed from the realities of the world that you can't do that, just do that, because some people are dependent on being schizophrenic. So Could you people, talk about that a little bit? How well, somebody could be dependent well, on being schizophrenic? So in my life, so I might get a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Let me go one step further. Mm. I, I'm going to use this, and sorry to people from Ballinasloe, but Ballinasloe wouldn't exist if it wasn't for mental illness. Ballinasloe would be a little village in the middle of nowhere. Ballinasloe is a thriving town, a metropolis, which was created out of the needs of the institution that was built in Ballinasloe, the psychiatric institution. So first of all, over the decades, we needed mental illness for thriving economies. So it became an economical kind of process. In terms of schizophrenia, um, you know, we created in kind of 1926 or thereabouts, you might have heard of Talcott Parsons who created the sick role. We created a ways that people can step outside of the labour market in order to not feel guilty and not to be punished for not being able to provide labour for kind of nation states. Illness was one of those and doctors were put in charge of that. And for lots of historical reasons, psychiatry was created to be able to do that, and they created mental illness uh, within within the framework of disease so that they could be licensed practitioners and allow people to step outside of the labour market. So now, if I've been diagnosed as schizophrenic and learned to be schizophrenic, I'm using that word purposely, you know, I'm objectifying a person's experience, which psychiatry does. Mm. First of all, I have to learn to become schizophrenic because it's a diagnosis with certain symptoms and most people who get that diagnosis don't know what schizophrenia is or don't know how to be schizophrenia. So they learn how to be schizophrenia. Part of learning to be schizophrenia is to become uh, enter into the disability kind of, kind of socio-economic position. So a lot of people with schizophrenia, unless they've got money, education and privilege behind them, will become schizophrenic and will probably end up with a disability allowance. Mm. now that puts you in a poverty trap what happens if I recover recover and no longer have schizophrenia but have major major psychological and emotional challenges that still prevents me from working but I can no longer have my disability what am I going to do probably get more stress probably have more psychological issues etc 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 so so which it's what I'm trying to say is once you've become schizophrenic, the schizophrenia, and this is kind of, you know, there's loads of different other labels that you can have. It's a kind of a lifestyle. It's kind of a life sentence. And in fact, within psychiatry, it was a life sentence. Once a schizophrenic, always a schizophrenic, even if you keep taking the drugs. So I suppose the short answer is it's not so easy to unpack that. It'll only be unpacked by a dialogue with people with schizophrenia, by the people who created schizophrenia, the psychiatrists, and by the acolytes of psychiatry uh, and the state, um, like nurses, like psychologists, like social workers and occupational therapists and psychotherapists and et cetera, et cetera, to have a dialogue around it. So to deconstruct and to allow maybe a broader truth to emerge. So mm. that's me without the magic wand, but with that kind of power, I can insist on dialogue mm. and I can make a mental health act. Mm. Would it be appropriate... Liam, for me to interpret that if, for example, I bring patterns of depression and share it with a health professional and that health professional gives me a diagnosis and says, John, well, now your depression is bipolar depression. 
would it be accurate for me to interpret from you that that diagnosis may not actually be helpful for me? Um, it, well, first of all, 30% of people say diagnosis is helpful for them. It helps them understand what's going on. Yeah. I don't know about the other 60 70% of people mm. who don't find it helpful. So 30% do. I just want to you know, be mm. clear about that. They find it helpful in their journey forward. So, But so my answer to that is no, it's not helpful. Oh, in, in, in the present understanding, because if I receive that diagnosis of bipolar, I have to take on an identity. Oh. And right now, within the traditional paradigm, mm. which as we're moving away from, by being bipolar, I will be... And this is an absolute, it does not happen in Ireland, prescribed at least two medications that I will be expected to take in various kind of titrated doses for mm. the rest of my life. Because I'll be told unless I do this, I will become ill again. Now the alternative to that is to maybe work with <clears throat> the notion of emotional dysregulation because of past trauma. Mm. To work with seasonal diarrheal variation of mood so for example instead of actually saying you're kind of significantly depressed wonder what time of the year it is and wonder how you're interacting with kind of nature and with the darkness or with the light that's a that's a much more fruitful way of somebody maybe exploring the depression mm-hmm. so if i could i'll give a quick a, a quick example mm-hmm. so for a long time i would have struggled with um I, I, i'm going to call it depression just to, to call it that but only in the winter Hmm. And this is before I moved into the more energetic kind of nature, shamanic kind of uh, view of life. And like I would struggle with that. And, and, and I would have had to take, you know, um, John's wart, you know, as, as an anti, a natural antidepressant. So really struggle in the winter. And the more I engage with the cycles of life and the cycles of the seasons and the understandings of the darkness and the time of hibernation and, and kind of rightful melancholy at certain times of the year... Uh, the depression or whatever it was went there's no drugs there's no drugs to be taken there's an embracing what happens inside in relation to outside so that's another way of looking at depression rather than bipolar inclusive because then in the spring I would got wildly kind of um, excited but knowing Mm -hmm. that in a seasonal thing means I don't get wildly out of out of sync I get quite creative Mm -hmm. so that's how I might work with a bipolar person, unless they've decided they want to work with... So back to your original point, yes, I don't agree with it. It's not helpful. Mm. It means I'm going to take two very strong chemicals for the rest of my life, or if I don't, I'll be accused of being non-compliant mm. and in danger of relapse. And I loved hearing your answer, because in your answer, you moved towards shamanic medicine. Yes. And the impact yeah. of shamanic practice or shamanic mm. consciousness as being helpful or resourceful or effective mm. in your personal experience of yeah. the label of depression. Yeah. Many listening and taking part in the podcast will be drawn because Shlion Cree is a shamanic uh, resource in the world and your wisdom drawing from your experience and your knowledge of how I and everybody taking part in the podcast might not just be inspired by you, but shamanic practice for mental health. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, um, if we're moving, I, I joke with somebody, if we're moving from the old mental health paradigm to the new paradigm, 
but I, I, I would consider it moving back to a pre-paradigm before psychiatry. You know, there should be a shaman in every health facility, to be honest with you. You know, there was a time when that was the role of the shaman to deal with all aspects of people's lives, including what we now call a mental health uh, kind of condition. So, yeah, you know, I like, I like that. I think, um, and I, I find in my work with people, they're craving that. They don't call it shamanic. They don't call mm. it even spiritual. But you can see the craving in people and the light bulb stuff if you're talking to them and it just comes up. I mean, simple things like doing rituals in mental health places that are shamanic, but people, they're not named as shamanic, but they are. And you just see how people grow and kind of begin to start talking about shamanic stuff that they didn't even know they had in their bodies to talk about. You know yeah. what I mean? Like making Bridget's crosses, what that kind of, you know, suddenly churns up in the middle of a kind of a group in a day hospital, you know, for mm. example. But, uh, I know we're going to finish now, so I'm going to, I'm going to just uh, shut oh, up there for a second. Uh, Liam, it's so yeah. difficult to uh, not continue uh, talking forever with you uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, let me ask an impossible question. Therefore, the answer may just simply be impossible. Uh, if Liam could put into a bottle of wisdom for me, for everybody taking part in the podcast, for our mental health, in the bottle of wisdom as filled and mixed from all of your experience and all your expertise all of your research what would you like us to absorb from that bottle of wisdom for our mental health what would you like us to taste mm. what would you like us to know um, that the answer for our own personal healing lies within ourselves and our broader system and we just have to find the key that unlocks that and it will it will happen that doesn't sound very wise but that's that's my answer that's my ingredients mm. it's a beautiful evocation that we are self-healing yes. organisms ultimately yeah, yeah for sure and my final, final question, Liam, drawing from life from earliest memories to right now, is there any wisdom that has come to you or that you have found that you have never forgotten and you'd like to share with us a wisdom that is for the ages? Hmm... For me, a wisdom of the ages, and this is my own personal journey, um, if we need to know all that we need to know, going back very, very, very far to the ages, is we need to look to the trees. So for me, I find when I'm lost, when I can't find, when I don't, to actually ask the great trees of the few that are left in this uh, land of ours so the wisdom lies in the trees I don't know if you notice in the winter if you're walking up a hill and you look at the leafless trees they're like the they're like the lungs of the earth do you ever notice the branch if you look at them from a distance it's almost mm -hmm. like you're looking at the alveolar of the earth so yeah. the trees breathe in breathe out ancient Aragon that's been here forever they have all of the wisdom the forever wisdom through their breathing in and breathing out that's 
that's where I that's where I find um, inspiration anyway, uh, and and the broader wisdom. Lee Makara Mahu, I'm so pleased that I began by calling you a C, <laughs> a wise one. Lee Magant, thank you so much for the thank privilege you. of your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you.